Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rational Talks Podcast. Before I introduce you to our guest today, here are words from our sponsors. Construction DPF for all your construction needs. If you need any landscaping, renovation, or maintenance on your properties, DPF is the company to call. Construction DPF Inc. 450-674-9220. And Fort Knox Beauty Bar, 6431 Jean Talon Street East in St. Leonard, Quebec. Fort Knox is a new beauty bar, tattoo, and barber shop with their extensive list of services from men's and women's hair, lashes, manicures, pedicures, tattoos, and piercings. There is something for everyone. Fort Knox Beauty Bar at 6431 Rue Jean-Talon Street East, Saint-Léonard, Quebec, 514-259-5959. Well, welcome everybody to Rational Talks Podcast. One of the goals of this podcast was to show you the personal journey of members of our community and how hard work pays off. In the European football world here in Quebec, few have had the journey that our guest today has had. He left for Europe when he was just 18, played in Italy, came back, played for the Montreal Impact and the national team, then went on to play in, in Norway, where he played in the UEFA Cup against the legendary Glasgow Rangers at the iconic Ibrox Stadium. For the last 10 years, he's been in coaching and has devel developed quite a few youth players with a promising future. Please welcome to the podcast, Sandro Grande. How are you, Sandro? Hey, good, you, Michael. Pretty good, pretty good. Um... First of all, I'd like to thank you for accepting the invitation. It's really an honor for having you on my podcast. I followed your career since I was a young adult. And um, in the last few months, I've been following also your coaching career. And I'm very impressed with what you've been able to do at L'Etoile de l'Est and now in your new um, adventure coming up at the Montreal Manic. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm glad to be here. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh it's a good thing going um uh, you know a lot of exciting things coming uh, coming about so it's gonna be uh it's gonna be some exciting times uh, coming soon should be should be so let's dive in right into our conversation tell us a bit about growing up in uh, in montreal how you felt how a kid from montreal at that age because i think you're a bit older than me fell in love with the game and where you played your youth uh, soccer in the city well i think uh, like most people uh of my age uh, back in the day um, falling in love with soccer was on Sunday mornings um, mm -hmm. a lot of our parents are uh, first generation immigrants and um, you know they they come from countries where soccer is everything and anything and um, and you know my dad was not a uh, not an athlete but um, very passionate uh, soccer uh, fan and um, that's it. So started watching uh, soccer. You know, then I had my older brothers that played a bit. Uh, so that always helps. And, um, you know, just following them to the field, um, enjoying myself, uh, striking the ball and, and playing with others. And and, uh, and then from there, uh, you know, joined the St. Leonard Soccer Club. Yep. So I played with St. Leonard from the age of uh, four all the way to, uh, to 18, 19 uh, when I left to, uh, to Italy. 
and um, I mean, never, uh, never change club. I didn't find the need to change club. Uh, we had a good, uh, good squad, good group, uh, a lot of friends that we are still friends today. A very tight knit uh, group, and um, look, it's um, it's it's the stuff that uh, that uh, laid the foundation for uh, for me uh, today. Yeah, it, uh, I I played a bit of youth soccer, not elite, but I played a bit with RDP, a bit with Saint Donat later on in my career, and um, Saint Leonard always had a good program. Considering at that time the the leagues weren't top-notch in developing and everything and tactical and technical, but Senior um, had a good program. I remember playing against them. Uh, and I have a few friends that played. You You also like to play with older people. You always had people tell me you always had a ball on, uh, with you, playing soccer. Even uh, some people would go watch some games at the park, and then you would finish your games with St. Leonard, and you'd stay and play with the, with the adults too because you were, I guess, good enough to play with them because th sometimes adults don't let any any kids play with them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, back in the day, uh, those kinds of things happen more often. I think society was uh, was okay with that. You know, I mean, nowadays, uh, um, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, the adults are with the adults, the kids are with the kids, and um, and you know, there's this like detachment, you know, and and I think that's what helped us as well um, growing up. Is that you know, we we had those those older kids next to us. We had, uh, you know, my. I, I was allowed to to go and play with um, my brother's friends and and uh, and you know just be at the park and you know watch watch the older kids play and and see what they do and and you know back then it happened more often nowadays it's like um, I find you know like the kids go to the field they train and um, there are some kids that stay behind and stay for like half an hour 45 minutes because mm -hmm. they just love the game um, but the majority go there, train, do their business, uh, get in the car and, and go home, you know? So um, we had a lot less of that. Uh, we had a lot more uh, ride your bicycle to the park, yes. stay, to the par stay at the park uh, as long as you wanted. And then when you felt the need uh, to go home, you, you went home. Yeah, that's basically. Tell us a bit about um, like how were practices back then? How was the, the, the tactical part of being uh, of youth soccer, how they instructed the, the youth? Because we all know these people were volunteers back then and they gave their time and their effort, uh, but maybe didn't have the, um, the experience in coaching to, to maybe have the right tactics in practice. Tell us a bit how, how practices were back then when you were a youth player. Look, I, I you know, I was... Uh quite lucky um, for what it was, the reality of, of what it was. I mean, I had guys like, uh, you know, Joe Primiani, uh, Italo Di Gioacchino, Andrea Di Piacciantonio, who are, um, you know, all good soccer minds. Um, you know, they're the first ones to say that what we used to do back then is, is totally outdated. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, for our reality, it, it was decent, you know, and, and I... Um, You know, they, they gave a lot of their time. They, they helped us out. Uh, they loved the game of, of, of soccer, the game of football. And, um, you know, I mean, you know, the, the, I, I do a lot of research. I do a lot of studying and, and I see um, some quotes. And there's a quote from, from Johan Cruyff that says something like, uh, I don't remember the exact words, but it says something like, uh, um, the boy goes to training um, three times a week with his coach an hour and a half. and then 
and then um, the rest of the day spend six, seven hours at the park playing uh, in a free environment. Where do you think the kid developed? You know, <laughs> and and I think back in the day, that's that was that was a big key. I mean, like you said before, you know, you were able to to go there and mix in with older kids, and there was no uh, only the eight year olds stay with the eight year olds, and the yeah. nine year olds stay with the nine year olds. You know, like you know, it was it was always, and it was like that for soccer. It was like that for ball hockey. Uh, it was like that when you went to the park and played baseball or tennis or whatever. Like it didn't matter, you know. So I, I think that that played a big role. You know, if we look at all the evidence um, around the world, like you and Croy said, I mean, if you go to Brazil, um, I, I wasn't fortunate enough to go to Brazil to watch the World Cup, but a couple of my friends were, and they said uh, on the beach the people are playing soccer all day long. Like yeah. you have these little kids. Uh, one of my buddies told me you have, I saw these little kids, like I would see them in the morning, I would leave, come back, and they would still be there still playing. There. <laughs> uh, so for me, you know, when, when you look at things like that, you say to yourself, okay, you know what? That the, the training sessions are very, very important. Uh, but the reality is, is that uh, us as human beings, we are capable enough, we are intelligent enough um to be able to come up with solutions and we don't always need a coach a coach should be there to help guide guide exactly yes. uh give little cues but in the end the kids the players need to be free they need to be free to to be creative they need to be free to find their own solutions um if you give me a math problem and you give yourself a math problem and we sit down with a blank piece of paper i am sure somewhere along the line there's going to be a different thought process between myself and yourself. And we're probably still going to get to the same solution. Uh, and the solution is, is is going to be right on both papers. But you went about it one way and I went about it another way. And I Our think the process that's, to get there was was different. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and that's important because it it, uh, it gives the kids that sense of, you know what, I accomplished this. You know, I, I didn't need Sandro to tell me to do this, 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 this and this, you know, and. You know, even in the education system right now, I mean, there's a lot of <clears throat> discussions going on on how we can better the education system. You know, sitting behind the desk and listening to somebody uh, monologue for uh, six, seven hours a day is is not is not uh, the ideal situation. You know, we need kids to it explore. It for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We need kids to explore. We need kids to be independent, and uh, and that's be it. Creative, so. live their passion. Exactly. Uh, because, because I guess to Everybody likes to play uh, likes to play sports recreatively, but when you're doing it in an elite competitive manner, um, it's important to be passionate about what you do because then that brings you confidence, and then confidence brings you motivation, and then a snowball effect into into how you are developing. In my opinion, so you so you said confidence. The, the word confidence. I just finished the course, a Barcelona course, um, coaching course, and and it and it says in there it says. If if the coach is constantly giving the solutions, the the kids will become in the, uh, they will become dependent mm -hmm. on the coach, and they will feel they'll be more insecure when they when the coach is there just as a um, as a guidance as a uh, an extra person as another person to help them through the process. But most of the solutions is is discovered by the by the the player. They become more confident. They become less uh, anxious and uh, less stressed when they're on the field, or uh, you know, in um, in every aspect, in other aspects, aspect, exactly. You know, so okay. So 
let's move forward a bit to your playing career. Yeah. Because at a at a young at a young age, you were 18 when you uh, decided to to go to Italy and live your dream. Um, everybody has to work hard. We all know that. But also sometimes at some point you have to make sacrifices also. And I heard uh, in a previous podcast you recorded about one, we can call it an important sacrifice you made because you had an offer from uh, for a scholarship at a university and you decided to leave that, that offer on the table to go live your dream and try out in Italy. Talk to us about maybe a bit of a, the thought press process of a young player at that age having to make the sacrifice and making an important life decision like, like the one you made. Look, I mean, uh, those are uh, tough decisions to make. Um, that, you know, uh, when I announced it to my parents, uh, it was it was a month before I was supposed to leave. Like it was not even, you know, six months before or a year before. I was supposed to leave in August and I decided this uh, at the end of, ju uh, of July. Hmm. Um, it was a tough decision, but uh, the reality is, is that I had, I had something in mind. Uh, my passion was, was football. Um, you know, was it the best decision? I don't know. I guess, it, I guess it worked out for me. Yeah. Um, you know, that. one of my good friends is Patrice Bernier mm -hmm. and, uh, Olivier Ossian. And, uh, they both went to university in the States. Uh, Patrice did, uh, I think one or two years, uh, at Syracuse. Olivier did, did, I think the, the full four years oh. and both of them also, um, ended up in Europe. So, you know, I, I don't think there's one pathway. Um, I don't think there's one way to get to the top. Uh, I think what drives, uh, each individual is what's going to get you to the top. Uh, well, how much are you willing to, you said it before, how much are you willing to sacrifice? I mean, you know, uh, the first time I left Montreal to go to Italy, it was beautiful, amazing, uh, no issues at all, you know, and then I came back for Christmas and then I left again. And then when I left for the second time, um, that was very, very tough, uh, because mm. uh, it started to hit me that, oh my gosh, like, I'm not going to be home yeah. much longer, you know? And, and, um, when I came back for Christmas, I came back for a couple of weeks So, you know, being home again and, and seeing the family and, and all this stuff was, was, it felt fantastic. And, and, and then when I left again, it like, hit okay, you at that time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so these are, these are sacrifices that, that you have to make. And, and, and if people think that uh, you're going to go to Europe and uh, you're going to get off the plane and they're going to, they're going to greet you with open arms and give you everything. And uh, you're going to be a professional player overnight. And, uh, and you're going to play with the best clubs in the world overnight. It, it, it just, it's not the reality. It's not no. the reality. And life is not like that. No, <laughs> life is not like that. Exactly. You know, and, and, um, and what, you know, what's important is that people have to understand that when you get there, it's just starting and it never ends. It's like, it's always just starting. Mm -hmm. So you can play in one club, do really, really well. And then as soon as the next year comes around, maybe you're in the same club, but you still got to perform again, yeah. or maybe you move to a better club and now you got to reperform again. Right, so you prove it, yourself again. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's constant, you know, and and um, kids, kids, you know, I know a lot of kids here. They talk to me and oh yeah, but you know, I don't want to go and play in third division in Italy, you know, like. Uh, and I tell parents all the time, and I tell the kids like playing third division in Italy, or third division in England, or third division in Germany, like you could make a living, like, you know the. Uh, 
the the obviously right now with the COVID and, and budgets and all the stuff, the salaries have gone down a little bit yeah. in those divisions. But but uh, you you can still make one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year uh, clean <laughs> to do you know, something you love <laughs> after after tax to do something you love. If yeah. you're able to do that for fifteen years. It's pretty good. Uh, you know, you've built up a, a pretty good uh, savings uh, savings account. You know, like yeah. <laughs> so, so people, uh, you know, they only see um, Juventus, they only see AC Milan, they see Chelsea, and those are beautiful things. But the reality is, is that there's about what maybe 30, 40 clubs at that level. Yeah. And there's about I think it's four or five billion soccer players <laughs> around, around the world. The world. So, <laughs> so the odds like, are not on your side for that one. The <laughs> odds are not on your side for that one. But can you play pro? Definitely, you know. And and I don't like. Uh, see, it, it's a little bit. Um, everybody here talks about the one percent. Oh, only the one percent uh, makes the pro ranks. Maybe in the NHL, yeah. Uh, maybe in the NBA. Uh, maybe in NFL, where these are one leagues. You know, exactly. NBA. Okay, you can still play in Europe. You can still play in China. NHL, there's a few leagues here and there, but there's not many. But in, in in soccer, it's it's there's there's 300 leagues yeah. that you can play pro soccer and make all good money all around the world. Yeah, all around the world, you can go to Thailand. Like I was close to going to Thailand uh, towards the end of my career, and contracts were uh, 15, 20, 30 thousand dollars a month. Wow, you know, so <laughs> playing in Thailand, that's pretty good. You know, so 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 these are these are things that people don't understand, and they all. You know, yes, and it's fine to dream to play for Manchester United one day. That's that's totally in your right, and you should. You should dream. You should focus on those big Have goals. That objective, yeah, exactly, because it's going to force you. It's going to motivate you every day to um, to keep on working. You know, um, but you also but have to it, understand that it's it's baby steps, and that slow and steady wins the race. Exactly, the, the dedication and exactly. hard work, and uh, you'll get as far as your your talent and your work brings you. Exactly, you know. Um, you say slow and steady, you know, and and these are um, these are stories that we grew up with. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at guys like Jamie Vardy, yes, who was nowhere on the map, or Ingolo Conte, uh, Conte from um, Chelsea, who was nowhere on the map at 19, at 20. 21, 22, and then all of a sudden at 24, 25, get a chance. And, and Jamie Vardy has been one of the top Premier League strikers um, in the last uh, six, seven years. Yeah, I just saw him uh, this past week saying uh, that he'll never leave Leicester City because they believed in him when nobody else did. And look at him now. He's a world-class uh, world scorer. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and, and then there might have been the guy that at 18 – um was already driving uh, huge cars and playing in the premier league and then it only lasted two years because he couldn't you know he wasn't focused and he wasn't he wasn't uh, mentally know, ready mentally ready he didn't stay humble he saw the money he saw the the the, the fame and the, the fortune and and then those guys don't don't make it nowhere you know and and um you know uh, so these are things that um it's 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 a it's a marathon it's not a sprint yeah, exactly. You know, it takes takes time and um, and just enjoy the ride, you know. And you you can't you can't give up because when you got when you got there, obviously, like you said, nothing is handed to you. And um, like I've heard you say that at the beginning, you had to you were six guys in an apartment um, that you had to even sleep when as a as an eighteen year old sleep in the airport in Lisbon. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I could only imagine sleeping there overnight thinking, oh my God, I'm, I'm on my way to Italy. I got to perform. The, the, the thoughts that are going through your head must be insane. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, actually, not too long ago, I, I told my kids about that, about the uh, sleeping in the airport. And my son was like, what do, you, what do you mean? Why did you sleep in the airport? <laughs> and I'm like, well, because I needed to get the flight the next morning. And the person that dropped me off at the airport could only drop me off the night before. And I didn't have the money to go and check myself into a hotel. And the reality is, is that I dropped my bags on the floor. I made myself a little bed with my bags. I slept on top of them because I didn't want to get them stolen, right? Yeah. Um, so I slept with one eye open, that's for sure. <laughs> but these are not stories that, um, you know, they only happen to me or whatever. Like, uh, you oh, know, no. I'm, I'm, I'm um, good friends with uh, Alex Bumbry. And yes. he had a similar type of story in, uh, when he went to England to... I think he went to uh, West Ham or Aston Villa. I was getting mixed up between those two clubs. Um, so when he went to England, it was he had the same type of story, if I'm not mistaken. He slept overnight out, outside or something, you know. And, and these are the sacrifices that that uh, we were willing to make to be able to um, to get to the next level. Yeah, yeah, this is very very important. And I hope um, I hope the young ones that play that play soccer are listening and saying that nothing will be handed to them that they will have to uh, go through these hard times sometimes and they have to fight through it and continue going forward. So, okay. Tell us a bit about that, uh, that period um, from 18 to uh, when you were <clears throat> battling in, in, uh, in Italy to make your name and, and go from uh, fourth division, right? You started, is that, yeah. is that I might not pronounce my yeah, Italian yeah, is, not, yeah. is not amazing. And um, so talk us about that time from Isernia to when uh, you went in the summer to, uh, to Brescia to play in uh, Intertoto. Yeah, so basically, uh, Isernia was um, was uh, my first full year in, in Italy. Um, first few games, first four weeks, I didn't play at all. I was in the stands. I was not even dressed, not even on the bench. And then a few injuries happened, a few suspensions, and then all of a sudden, I got my, ch my, my chance. And I took my chance. You know, I, I, I took my chance. And uh, from there, I think I played, um, other than one game that I accumulated yellow cards, I, I played 30 games in a row. Um, and uh, I scored seven goals as a midfielder, seven or eight goals as a midfielder. So, you know, that was laying the foundation. Then after that, you know, the coach uh, moved on to another club, Stefano Sandera, and, uh, and I followed him. He brought me uh, to Potenza. Potenza was another great year. Uh, we were, um, you know, we were battling for the top of the league. Uh, unfortunately, the, the club ran into some financial problems. We weren't getting paid. Um, and at that point, um, in the month of February, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go back to Montreal. I came back to Montreal with the, um, with the thought process of going to university. I said, you know, I was really discouraged. And um, in the summer, in the month of June, uh, Coach Sander uh, was moving on to Frosinone. And he gave me a call and he said, listen, I want you to come. I think you're going to be a key uh, key figure in our in our squad. What division battle. was there in at that time, Frosinone? In Frosinone, was in fourth division still. Mm. And, um, and I said, listen, I go, I have no issues. I go, but I'm not going to go through the same thing that I went through last year. So if you want me to come, just tell the club, as soon as I get off the plane, I get all my money right away. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. I get, all, I get all my paychecks. The paychecks are not normal. Paychecks, they're 
registered uh, checks that I can deposit once a month, not a problem, but I want my money in my hands because because I don't want to go through the same thing that I, I went through the year before, you know? And that was done. As soon as I got to the airport, uh, the club uh, had the contract ready for me, had my uh, my stuff all ready for me. And I was I was free in my mind, and I was um, I was uh, I was ready to, to to do what I had to do, and able to concentrate on on the game. Yeah, just the game. And we had a fantastic season. We got promoted into the uh, third division uh, along with Martina Franca. We finished second; they finished first. We got promoted as well. And um, that year, uh, until December. Um, I was playing games like there's a, a rating system uh, based on your uh, a grading system based on your your performance on the Sunday and on Monday every time the um, all the newspapers they they grade how you played yesterday. Okay. And uh, I was top five in Italy in fourth division um, with regards to my average grade, you know. And um, a lot of noise was going on, uh, you know. Creating a buzz. Of, You're creating a buzz. Yeah, there was a lot of. Uh, a lot of interest. I mean, uh, third division clubs, like there was plenty of them that were interested. There were about uh, seven, eight um, uh, second division clubs, Serie B clubs. And then there was about three or four uh, Serie A clubs. There was Uzi, wow. Udinese, Fiorentina, uh, Brescia. And um, and basically from there, um, the president had a good relationship with the president of Brescia. So uh, they, they they got the deal done for me to go to Brescia and um, went there in January, stayed there a few weeks only in January because I was going to go back to Frosinone to finish my uh, my season and hopefully help the club um, win the championship, you know. So went back, finished the season, and, um, and then in July uh, of that year, uh, joined uh, Brescia on a three-year uh, three contract and... Uh, and look, I mean, um, I, I reached, I reached the summit, you know, and and that's that was a great thing, but it was also a thing that that uh, that, uh, like we said before, you know, I thought it was over. Mm, I'm at the yeah. summit, you know, but yeah, that was How just. How old were you at the time when uh, when you reached Brescia? I was uh, 22. 22. So, so yeah. still, still young. Yeah. I've heard you. I've heard you say before that you were physically ready, tactically ready technically ready but maybe you were lacking a bit of um, mental mental readiness exactly because how, what happens how important is, is how important is that mental aspect look it's it's uh, it's arrived at that level yes there are the phenoms mm -hmm. you know the big time players the guys that you're you're you know that level there is like really almost untouchable uh, but everybody underneath that uh, more or less is at the same level um, what what differs is what they have in here, mm. and being able to bring it every day, you know. Um, so you know, if I, if I take an example, uh, Gennaro Gattuso, mm -hmm. who's not a phenomenal player, who's not even close to Andrea Pirlo, yeah, but yet had a tremendous career. Why? And maybe had a longer, more successful career than than players that were so much more talented than him yeah. but the reason he was able to do it is because mentally he was he was uh he was super super uh strong you know and yeah. uh for me it was more uh, the overwhelming situation so uh you go there 
you're, you're always used to being, you know, an important player on every squad that you've been in. And now all of a sudden, uh, I wasn't ready to be player number 22, 23, 24, yeah. 25, you know. And um, and unfortunately, like, I, I didn't have uh, people around me that were helping me in that way, you know, um, you know, to, to help me deal with it, you know. And uh, just be patient because my time was going to come, you know. And, and, and if I look back at it now, the first year that I went to Izadnia, I was number exactly. 20, 21, 22 in the, in the squad as well. And then when you and got your became, chance, you played 29 straight games. Exactly. You know, so I think if I would have been patient, if I could go back now and just be patient and really train and train hard and, and do what I needed to do to try and gain the coach's confidence, um, I think I would have played a long, long time in, in Serie A. And maybe not even in Serie A, maybe, you know, I would have had a Serie B career, which is yeah. fantastic as well, you know, like, um, so, uh, you know, it, it was just the overwhelming situation, you know, guys, I mean, on, on the squad, there were guys like uh, Luca Toni, hmm. uh, there were guys like Roberto Baggio, yeah. uh, Pep Guardiola. Um, Pirlo you know, was young too, uh, was Pirlo there already at that time? Pirlo was there in January when I, when I transferred, uh, he did the last six months of the season on loan from Inter Milan. But when I went in, in July, uh, he, he was already with uh, AC Milan. He had oh, transferred okay. to AC Milan. Um, but, uh, you know, these are, you know, there was Daniele Bonera. There was, there was, there was big time players, you know, and, and. Um, Is it overwhelming to be on the practice field with these legends? We can call them, I guess. Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. Because they're, they're, they're. You see, that's the thing. Like, I, I should have taken it as a, a, a learning experience. So, yes, it's overwhelming because often I would play uh, more or less in the same areas like like uh, Baggio or like uh, Guardiola. Mm. Um, and what I should have done was look at them, admire them, but learn from them. Yes. You know, uh, and instead I was uh, I was uh, not doing that, you know, and, and I was not doing that to my best of uh, my abilities, you know. And, you know, back then, it wasn't big to have like a mental coach in teams or, you know, psychologists and stuff like that. We, we didn't have that, you know? So, yeah. uh, nowadays if, if, um, you know, if I would be there nowadays, I'm sure that they have that, that resource, you know, yeah. these are people that, uh, that I could have gone and speak to and things would have changed, you know, things would have changed. So you really needed to figure out on your own how to, how to find a solution. Um, but like I said, you know, I, I don't regret anything. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it did play with my mind. Then after that, you know, I went, uh, I went to play in Catanzaro, uh, then back to Frosinone, uh, in, in third division, but mentally I wasn't, um, I wasn't calm, you know, I wasn't yeah. calm. And because I was so focused when I left Canada to make Serie A and I made Serie A and, uh, and it was like, okay, that's the end, you know, like, and now where do I go from here? Yeah. Where do I go from here? And then eight months later, a year later, you're back in third division. So it's, you know, I, I'm going to make a reference. Looking back now, looking back now, you, you, you see that that would have been part of the pro process. But back then, as a young as a young man trying to reach your dream where you reach it and then you take two steps back, it affects you mentally and you start you start asking yourself of questions. Of course. And, uh, you know, I look at I look at the, the, the Habs and I look at Cockney Emmy. Mm -hmm. You know, he very came in young. very, very young, exciting. At first, he did well. Then he started to not do so well. Then they send him to Laval. 
I'm sure mentally uh, he, he had he had some struggles mentally, and oh, yeah. and, and I went to the to, through the same type of thing, you know. And um, but like I said, I mean these are these are all things that help me. These are all things that uh, you know I could use nowadays to uh, in my coaching career. I could use nowadays yeah. to help my my daughter, my son, uh, because they do sports and. Um, and it's a struggle for them as well. But now I can help them out. I can give them, I can give them, you know, what I went through as experience. It also shaped the the, the man you are today, also. All exactly. these experience, you know? life experiences. Exactly. So then um, okay, so then you, you have a bit of a hard time, and uh, you had a, a situation with a contract that brings you ends up you making the decision to come back to Montreal. Yeah. And then you decide to play um to go play with the impact, you have the offer to go play with the impact. So you come back. How was that? coming back and playing for uh, your hometown? Look, that was fantastic because, I mean, in, in the end, um, I came home. I was back home at my parents' house, uh, you know, in, in my own environment. Um, there again, you know, I came home with the, with the thought that I was going to play with the impact and go to university. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, all that stress, all that weight on my shoulders uh, from the situation in Italy uh, disappears. And I'm free again, and I have an amazing season with the impact. I start playing, I start enjoying myself. My parents are at the games; they're they're watching me, they're supporting me. My family's at the games, like my cousins and all this stuff, and 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 it just brought out like this joy inside, this freedom to go out there and just explore and and play, you know, and have fun. Have fun, have fun basically. Exactly, have fun, you know, and and uh, that's exactly what I did. And for as soon as I started doing that, then the national team comes calling. So now you get called by the Canadian national team. How was that? How was that feeling when you get that first call, that first telephone call saying, uh, "We'd uh, we'd like to uh, we'd like to have you on the on the national team." That must be a, a, Look, a pride you feel, no? Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, it's it's um, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I I never expected it. Uh, when I got the call, the first game was in Costa Rica. And I go to Costa Rica. I think there was an injury or something. Frank Yallop asks me to go in. I go in. I'm not expecting anything. All I'm doing is I'm going in. We had three or four days of training before our game. Get in there. Um, not expecting anything. And the day before the game, Frank Yallop comes to tell me, okay, so tomorrow night you're going to start. And now it's like, okay, wow, you know, perfect. Uh, so we're playing in Costa Rica. And... Um, I'm in the dressing room, really, really nervous. And in the end, I just told myself, you know, and these are little tricks that you learn along the way, because also, uh, you know, not only learning about the game on the field, the technical and tactical stuff, but the mental game. And I said to myself in the dressing room, I, I still remember, I said, you know what, go out, play. If you play bad tomorrow morning, you're still going to be at the Montreal Impact and it's going to be fine. And you have nothing to lose because yesterday you weren't at the national team. And if you play well, well, you're going to be on the national team for the next few years. Right. So went out, had a fantastic game, had a decent game. Not a fantastic game because I actually, I watched the game recently. It's um, I found it on on YouTube. Oh. Um, it wasn't a fantastic game that I had, but I had a good game, a mm. decent game. You know, I did some, I did some, some good stuff. And then from there, I just, uh, you know, I, I was in the in the national squad for three, four, five years. And uh, this was a world cup qualifier, right? Was world cup qualifying. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that made it a lot more enjoyable, yeah. right? Because yeah. now, you know, I, I went from 
the lowest low, uh, the highest high in Brescia to the lowest low coming back to Montreal saying I quit. Then I go back to a high with the Montreal Impact. Then I'm on the national team. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm in World Cup qualifying, try to qualify for the 2006 World Cup. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real roller coaster, you know, and, and, um, and we were close. We were close. Well, we weren't in the, um, in the hex yet because mm. in the CONCACAF you have the last the six teams that uh, play yes. for the hex. We were in, in, the, in the round just before that. Um, and we were, uh, we were close to getting into the hex. Unfortunately, we didn't get there. Uh, we were winning against Honduras, and uh, Honduras tied up the game in the last few minutes of the game. Uh, that's, the game that's the game that they uh, that you guys they made you play in the middle of the afternoon, scorching hot with no 12, AC 12 in the locker room. 12:30, <laughs> air conditioning in the dressing room that doesn't work, but you see it; it's there. It looks brand new, but it doesn't work. Um, we went out for warm up. We warmed up. We we literally stayed out for five minutes just to get the legs moving and we went back in because it was way too hot. Way too hot. Um, and what's funny about that is that as soon as the national anthem started for Canada, the clouds kind of came over and it, and it lowered the temperature by easily five, six, seven degrees. And it, oh, was, wow. <laughs> it was, it was fantastic. And, and, um, and it was actually e easier to play. And, uh, you know, we were up one nil, we had chances to make it two nil. We scored a goal that was disallowed. That was that shouldn't have been this loud. Uh, we would have been up two nil, and uh, but I mean, you know, I look back at it now, and these are fantastic memories. Oh, of course, um, I could only imagine. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you know, the fact that uh, these games are on YouTube and, and stuff like that makes it more enjoyable because I can go and watch them now. Yeah, it must be cool to watch and even to show your kids. Even <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, you know, so. Another game that must be a big memory for you in, at international, in international play was maybe on September 3rd, 2005. I don't know if you remember the date. Uh, it was a friendly against, yep. against Spain. And it was in Spain, right? It was in Spain, yeah, in yeah. Uh, Santander. S uh, Santander, yes, exactly. Yep. And uh, I looked up that roster, and even though most of them only came on in the second half, that's a, that's a pretty heavy roster that, end up, that ended up winning uh, the Euro three years later. We yeah. were talking about uh, players like uh, Fernando Torres, Luis Garcia, uh, Sergio Ramos, Xavi Alonso, Joaquin, Raul, Vincente, Xavi. Yeah. Uh, and then you come on. Uh, what was the score when you came on? It was 1-0. Uh, no. Uh, no, sorry. It was 2-0. Uh, 2-0. They just, ah, yes. They just had scored right before you coming on. They just had scored the, the, the second goal. Yeah. So you come in. Explain us a bit because everybody that's seen that goal, uh, it was a beautiful goal. Uh, mm -hmm. Explain how how that play went went through in your in your mind. How do you saw the ball and everything? Look, I mean, um, I came on with a with a mission. I just want to have fun. I just want to get on the field and play. And uh, you know, luckily, luckily, uh, I had a ball that I recuperated in the midfield just before. Uh, so I got my my feet wet a little bit. Um, this ball gets into uh, Josh Simpson, who's going down the uh, the the, the, the sideline, crosses it towards the middle. Uh, defender kind of scuffs the ball and the ball's just rolling in a perfect height, perfect speed. Um, and who knows me knows, knows that I love to shoot the ball. <laughs> and, uh, it just came and I said to myself, you know what, you know, just hit it. Um, I hit it with the inside of my foot. You know, I basically passed it into the corner. I used the, basically the momentum of the ball coming towards me to, to just guide the ball into the corner. Uh, went around. 
uh, a defender and, and just uh, into the side netting. Um, look, you know, these are goals that you score uh, not every day. Um, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's luck, but, uh, but you also have to, you know, say to yourself. You like, practice those, those in your head and even on the field many times, those shots outside the box and everything. Exactly. And when it happens in the real game and everything works out perfectly and the ball ends up in the back of the net, what yeah. a great feeling. And even, you, even just watching you after scoring that goal and, and going to the sidelines, the, uh, the happiness in your face, It was just great to watch. So I can only imagine how you felt. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, look, when I got on the bus after, the first person I called was my brother. And I'm like, I just scored. Like, what do you <laughs> mean I just scored against Spain? You know, like, uh, I can't believe it. And it was a fantastic goal. And then, you know, I only played uh, 18 minutes that game. I think I came out at the 72nd or 71st minute or something like that. Uh, but I had that goal. And then I had uh, had a great action uh, with, with Dwayne Di Rosario just missing Uh, after that, um, and in that action, you know, like I'm, I basically, I go around Xavi with a one-two. And, uh, <laughs> you know, back then you, you look at it and you say, okay, okay, you went around Xavi. Now that we know who Xavi exactly. ended up being, you know, it was like, wow, you know, like that's, that's uh, some, something to, uh, to look back on, to ch cherish, uh, you know, never, never forget about it. And, uh, It's going to be a fun story to tell your grandkids that he played against Xavi and uh, yeah. Torres and Raul, which is a legend. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, like you, 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 um, you talked about Raul. I have his jersey. So uh, after the game, I exchanged jerseys. You swapped jerseys? Oh. Yeah. I have, his, uh, I have his jersey. He signed it. Oh, it's so cool. Um, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard for people to understand. But when I knocked on the door of this, the Spain dressing room, to go and get the, 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 the signature, um, Puyol opens the door and, and guides me all the way towards, towards uh, Raul. And I just thought to myself, like, I'm afraid, like I'm knocking on the door, like a little bit timid. Yeah. And these people are like, no, come in. You know, like they're, they're just down to earth. And, they, you know, they, uh, they're human beings like everybody else. Yes. And It's just us that are starstruck. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and, uh, I remember going into the dressing room. He was he was at the back, and uh, he had no problem uh, signing the jersey. Um, it was it was a fantastic moment that I'll never forget. Um, and and uh, look, these are these are things that um, that I can keep in my um, in my locker for uh, forever. And uh, I'm I'm very grateful to have uh, been able to to to. To play at that level, uh, I'm very grateful that you know, Mother Nature, God uh, gave me uh, the gift, and uh, that many, you know, that many look 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 to go and find, you know, and and, and I had it, I had it with me, you know, and and, uh, and that's the, it, you know. So the, the the I talked about the Spanish team, how good they were, but that Canadian roster was a very good Canadian roster too. We were I very very say, good. Yeah. I could say that about uh, until now. I guess that was could call it maybe the golden era of Canadian soccer. Like you mentioned, Dwayne Di Rosario, which has his, uh, his lot of, uh, of nice goals too, uh, from outside yeah. the box. And, yeah. um, uh, name of some of the players. Can I remember? I don't remember them off the top of my head, but there was Dwayne Di Rosario. So there was uh, Dwayne Di Rosario. There was Thomas Radzinski who had a fantastic yes. career in Europe. Uh, Mike Lukowski, 
Ante Jazik that played, uh, had fantastic careers in Europe as well. There was Kevin McKenna that, you know, played for a long yeah. time with uh, in Germany in the Bundesliga, second Bundesliga, first Bundesliga. Atiba Hutchinson, who's, Hutchinson, know, who's yes. uh, one of the, one of the um, gods of, of Besiktas uh, soccer club right now. He's still captain. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's great, you know. Like there's Julian de Guzman that, that was on that team. Yes, Julian de Guzman. Um, yes. Look, we, we had we had a fa- fantastic squad. Patrice Bernier was there, and um, we had a fantastic squad, and and uh, it was a good group of guys. We we uh, we were all guys that were very down to earth, guys that wanted to work for each other, guys that loved being together. Like we used to look forward to go international team. So just. So we could just be together and and yeah. um, and talk and and uh, and train and and see each other and uh, you know see the Canadian blood again together. Uh, you know, once every I don't know, uh, few months. You know. And, yes, once every few months uh, when you have the international breaks. Yeah, and and till this day, like you know, we're still in contact with many of those guys. So that's that's. Yeah, it's cool. You create you create friendships and uh, relationships that uh, live on forever with these people. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like with that squad, uh, six months later, we beat we beat Austria two 0 in Austria, oh. um, and and you know, like it's it, sometimes it's unfortunate that you don't you don't uh, these these uh, groups of players we didn't fall in the right moment. Like uh, the World Cup qualifying was already finished, mm. you know. But if we would have played the World Cup qualifying a year before with this squad, with that group, mm. we would have probably been able to to qualify, you know, and. Uh, you know, you said the golden golden era. I mean, look for sure. Nineteen eighty six, that group there should be yes. always considered the, the golden true, era, right, just because right. they qualify for the World Cup. You know, yeah, like we true, haven't done right. it before, and we haven't done it since. You know, it's true. It's true. You're uh, right. I, I hear a lot of people nowadays talking about the the young generation. It's a fantastic group, lots of talent. Oh yes, but they can't be called the golden era until they qualify. The yeah, golden right. era is going to be forever. Nineteen eighty six group. Until somebody else qualifies, and I think this new squad has a good chance of qualifying. So, uh, especially especially be... for twenty twenty six, if uh, with uh, I think we're allowed to that host being a host country. Uh, I'm not one hundred percent sure, but I think we're allowed to be in the tournament. Yeah, that's not the, that's not a hundred. I'm not sure if it's one hundred percent sure yet, okay. uh, mm-hmm. just because. Uh, look, I'm not one hundred percent sure, but uh, it's because you know, like Montreal now is not sure of hosting. Yes. Edmonton doesn't want to host. Vancouver pulled out. Is Toronto so? If we don't have a host city, yeah, <laughs> how can we have a host country? I, yeah. I don't know how that's going to work. I yeah. hope, I hope, uh, but you know, like that's going to be qualifying through the back door. Um, I'm sure yeah. if you ask John Herdman today, yeah, he, he doesn't want to qualify. They want to yeah. qualify for 2022 through the front oh, yeah. door. You know? Yeah, guaranteed, guaranteed. So uh, even though in 2026, you know, if 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 it is through the back door. Um, if they go in the group stage and they don't win a game, then it was only through the back door. If they, yeah. but if they go through the group stage and they win a couple and they pass the round, and they prove themselves, even if they qualify through the back door, they still will have will have succeeded for for in in some way, you know. So after after that time when you played with the national team, I guess some eyeballs were turned back onto uh, put the spotlight back on you, and you start getting some offers again from Europe. Yeah, and uh, you end up choosing to go. To uh, Norway, and um, where that brings you, well, that brings you to play, I guess, in European football, which is the prestige of playing in European football. That you end up—I uh, don't know if I pronounced that right—the team Molde is that. Uh, well, the first year I went to uh, Viking, 
Viking. So I, Viking. I, I signed with Viking. The coach was Roy Hodgson. Uh, oh. Yeah, it was Roy Hodgson. And, uh, you know, that's that's uh, something that uh, that uh, really convinced me. Uh, first of all, Roy Hodgson is the coach. Second of all, they're playing in Europa League. Yep. Uh, so, so um, you know, I, I, I went there, uh, did well, did well. Uh, Roy was a very nice man, uh, very good coach. And um, and I had the chance to play in Europa League. We we were in the group stage. We were actually very close to qualifying for the next round. Uh, in our group, we had teams like uh, AS Monaco, uh, Slavia oh. Prague, uh, CSKA Sof uh, no, uh, yeah, Sofia from Bulgaria, and we had Hamburg from from Germany. You know, uh, first game of the group, we play Monaco with guys like Mike Ohn. Like their oh. right back and left back was Mike on and Patrice Evra. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and their striker was uh, Emmanuel Adebayor. Ooh. You know, so so it was a great squad and uh, we were able to beat them at oh. home 1 0. Uh, our second game, we go to Hamburg, uh, which was uh, much tougher. Uh, Hamburg had uh, Van Boyten, had, uh, had uh, Van der Vaart, who's a phenomenal player, phenomenal player. And the reason I know is because I was often in his area on the field. And it, was, <laughs> it was not easy. It was not easy. Uh, we lost 2-0. Um, then we played the Slavia Prague at home. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, we drew. Um, we drew that game. Anyways, we ended up finishing, I think, second or third in the group. Um, actually, third, if I'm not mistaken. And um, we didn't qualify for the next round, you know, so... Um, and then from there, I transfer over to Molde. Uh, and then in Molde, we, um, again, they bring me in because they're going into Europa League as well. So we play uh, first round. I think we played uh, in the qualifying round. We played a team uh, from, um, I don't remember which, which club we played, but then in the second round, we played the uh, Glasgow Rangers. Oh. And uh, that was a great game. That's where you tied the, the first leg at home, 0-0, right? Yeah. Yeah, we tied the first leg at home 0-0. We should have won that game. We had a couple of good opportunities to score. Uh, we played a great game. We, we we faced them, you know, we faced them up and, and we played a very good game. You didn't the let them game, score that, that important away goal, which is already important when you're playing at home. Yeah, they, they didn't score they didn't score the away goal and, you know, we would have been able, but, I mean, uh, we, we missed a couple of chances, but, it, you know, it is what it is. And then we go to Gasco and we lost 2-0. Uh, but even there, we had a couple. Of, yeah, um, how was it when you amazing. walk into walk onto the pitch in in an iconic stadium like that? Yeah, look, I mean, what was uh, the, the 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 best thing about that stadium was the dressing room. I mean, uh, the uh, the dressing room was this old old wood. Uh, I felt like I was playing in 1925. You know, like it was like fantastic. I remember walking into the dressing room and saying, "Oh my gosh, this is beautiful." You know. Uh, no new age stuff. It was like really like benches and um, you got a couple of hooks to put your stuff on. Um, but it was all um, in blue, their colors, but in, in this dark brown wood, you know. And, uh. <laughs> uh, and then walking on the pitch was fantastic because the stadium is absolutely beautiful. The capacity uh, at that stadium is um, what, maybe uh, 60? Not 70? sure the capacity. Um, uh, you know, it's probably around 50, 60. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, Yeah, so uh, stadium was packed the night the, 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 that night. Uh, the fans were rocking and rolling all game long. Uh, 
very loud. You couldn't hear your teammates. You couldn't hear anything. Um, we ended up losing. I mean, we didn't. You know, we didn't have uh, the experience that they had. So, but having said that, we we were still close. You know, we, we weren't that that far away. You know, and uh, and I'm sure that brought that brought you as a player yourself to play in a prestigious tournament like that against a team iconic team like that. It gave you experience to further on in your career. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It it was uh, it was a fantastic experience, fantastic fantastic moment. You get to play against the big time uh, opponents, you know, and uh, and you get to measure up and see, like you know, you 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 see yourself on the pitch with these guys, and you say, okay, look, you know, like I played against this guy and I played against that guy, and you know, like like to this day when we played Hamburg, uh, Van der Vaart actually scores the i think it was the second goal and uh the combination that he does around around me actually um was so quick you know and and, and this is what uh you know makes you understand like okay like i think i'm a decent player um i think i'm i'm a player to play at this level uh but then you start to see these types of talents and you say to yourself wow you know like the, the this is this is top notch but you know, we're also talking about one of the best elite, yeah, Dutch Dutch players uh, to to ever to ever play the game. So, um, you know, and then um, and then I, I was lucky enough to um, to to have that opportunity, and um, that's it. You know. So. so then later on, after that stint in uh, in Norway, you decide you decide well, you decide you end up coming back to the Impact for a second uh, second run in the. Um, it was USL or NASL at that time? In the, the uh, NASL at that time. NASL. And um, I don't know, that year, I, I think they went, they played in the CONCACAF Champions League. Were, were you, yeah. Were you? did you play in it too? Yeah, of course, yeah. So uh, I guess that experience of having played in uh, in European football uh, yeah. helped out in, in that tournament with the impact. For sure, for sure. I mean, uh, I came back uh, due to injury. I was, um, I had a couple injuries. I had to get operated and stuff like that. And, um, I came back trying to find a solution. I couldn't get over the hump. And then all of a sudden I found the, uh, an osteopath in Montreal, uh, that really helped me out, got me back on my feet uh, within three, four weeks. Uh, oh. I was, I was back to normal. Uh, the impact was here in town. They offered me a contract. I decided to, to sign with them. Then we get into CONCACAF Champions League, uh, have a fantastic, uh, group stage. Uh, with some with some decent teams like Atlante of Mexico and and uh, Joe Public of Trinidad and, and stuff like that, and we passed the first round, and um, and then we play in the quarterfinals. We play against uh, Santos Laguna. Laguna, um, very mem memorable because we played at the Olympic Stadium and there was uh, over sixty thousand people. Yeah, I think I was at that game. Yeah. I think it was the first time uh, since 1981-82 when the Manic was here that there were yes. 60,000 people in that stadium for soccer. So, actually, for the a, Manic. For a USL, uh, for an NASL since, team. Since, yeah, since the Manic. Yes, yes that's <laughs> since, right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's it. So, we play that game. We have a fantastic game. We win 2-0. And then we go to, uh, we go to Mexico. And uh, we, we, we play a decent game. Until about the 75th minute, and then because you scored two goals, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember yeah. correctly, in that game, yeah, we scored two away goals, and we were in the driver's seat. And um, you know, I just think the last 
15 minutes, we started backing up, backing up, backing up, and we were soaking pressure and it was coming fast. Um, we weren't fully fit because of the fact that uh, we played in the month of February, March. Yeah, in the off-season we here, yes. Yeah, we were in the off-season, so that played a factor, and I think our legs just gave out on us. And uh, look, the the ambiance, the ambiance in uh, in that stadium was was crazy as well. Um, and you know, it it, it 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 got the better of us. You know, we um, we should have been able to uh, to bring that result to to the end, and they ended up scoring with a, a few seconds left. Uh, and they won 5-2 and, and we were eliminated. But um, I, I, I still think it's a, a very good accomplishment what that team was able to to uh, reach in that tournament considering that they were a, a second division North American team, uh, which, which look, is... Look, I mean, uh, the reality is, is that the, the goalkeeper of Santos Laguna that year made more money. His annual salary was more than a whole team of the Montreal. <laughs> yeah, you see. So <laughs> the disparity in... Uh, and resources yeah. that they had compared to what uh, Montreal had at that time. <laughs> yeah, and it's not an excuse because Tottenham has a three quarters of a billion dollar budget, and last week they played Dinamo Zagreb that has a fifty million dollar budget, and uh, they lost. You know, so yeah, it's you're, you're completely right. Sometimes it's not only about resources; it's about playing the game. Like they say, um, there's that football saying, and it's also a movie uh, on any given Sunday, right? It's all yeah. about. It doesn't matter what the, the the roster is on paper, but it's the way they play the game on the field that ends up um, being the difference maker. Exactly. Okay, yeah. so let's let's move on a bit to your uh, to the second aspect of your career into the coaching and the, and development. So when you decide to um, to call it a career and decide to go into coaching, you go uh, you go into L'Etoile de l'Est. Yeah. Where there is basically where you you learned. How to um, how to be a coach and how is the the good ways of teaching uh, young players? Where you were able to uh, some players, uh, Josué Duverger, Abraham Duverger, Matthew Catavallo, even Karifa Yao. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. And um, so even uh, Gary Gall, which is now the 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 president, I guess, of Montreal Manic. Yeah. I said the, that uh, that there is no one in Quebec that has developed as many youth players as Sandro Grande. So talk, talk us a bit about how how was that um, that growth process and it was the less that made you the coach uh, and developer you are today. Look, I mean, uh, the reality is is that I've always been a coach in in a sense, you know, like playing in the midfield. Uh, there's a lot of reading yeah. of the game, a lot of anticipation. Um, so so I've always been practicing my craft. In 2011, when I decided to retire and get into coaching. Uh, I studied a lot. I still study today. I'm still always researching, finding new things and new trends and all that stuff. Uh, sat down, built a plan. And when I went to Etoile de l'Est, I told uh, basically the club, like, we're going to get players that are going to be a national team and we're going to get players that are going to sign pro within 10 years. And um, many people laughed at me. <laughs> not a, not in a bad way, but just to say, like, Sandro, come on, you know, like, yeah. that's not possible, you know, like. Be realistic. Yeah, be realistic, you know, and, and for me, it was like, no, I am being realistic. And 10 years later, you know, we, we were able to produce a lot of those those players. And again, I don't want to say produce because we didn't. It's not us. It's mm -hmm. not myself. It's not the technical staff that that produced these players. They produced them their own. We just helped them along the way. We guided them. We put uh, certain 
certain we we paved the way for them after yes. that if they want to if they want to walk on it they walk on it if they don't want to walk on it they 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 don't you know and yeah. and uh we we laid down the foundation for them and you know we're happy i'm so like when i talk about these players uh, you know people think that all you want is recognition i don't want any recognition i want mm -hmm. those players to get recognition yeah i had my time as a player uh and now my objective my goal is to help the next person have their time and you know when Matthew Shapovalov plays at the world cup uh i was the first one on the screen watching the game <laughs> because i'm a fan of him now yeah. you know like he always looked at me as a coach maybe uh but now i'm looking at him as a fan i'm looking at Karif Yao as a fan Josué Duverger Abraham Duverger uh, Samuel Salter, uh, Nassim Mekidash, uh, Edouard Traoré, all these players that are that have moved on and are playing at the highest level, I'm looking at them as a fan. I'm their mm -hmm. biggest fan. I'll be the first one at the stadium if ever they um, they uh, they they play at the highest level and and uh, and I'm able to go and watch their games. I'll be the first one at the stadium and I'll I'll be the first one cheering them on. You know, so <laughs> it's their time. Uh, we did nothing. Myself, all the technical staff, Joey Cortese, Amro Radwan, Emma Debrahimi, Francis, uh, um, all the coaches that were involved, we did what we had to do. But, but in the end, the players did, did what they had to do. What can, we, what can we say is Sandro Grande's philosophy of, uh, of soccer as a, as a coach? Look, it's, uh, it's possession-based. I think if the ball is on the ground and the ball is passed between and all the players are participating uh, in every single moment of the game, well, every single moment, every single moment, every player is going to be progressing. Okay. Um, if we just take take the ball and 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 kick it up to the strikers, well, whoever kicks the ball is going to be developing how to kick the ball longer. <laughs> and whoever gets on the end of the, the the ball to end up running, yeah, he's going to develop maybe a little bit. Uh, but the reality is, is that two out of the eleven players are going to develop. That's true. For me, yeah. soccer is played on the ground, and I'm happy that you know world football is now showing that more and more clubs are playing the ball on the ground. Um, Pep Guardiola, I was fortunate enough to play with him, and I'm fortunate enough to watch many of his games. Um, and um, I, I take I take examples of Pep. I take examples of Jurgen Klopp uh, and and Bielsa and, and these coaches here. And I look at them and I say to myself, that's the way I want my teams to play as much as possible. And I think that's the best way um, to develop soccer players. I heard I heard Pep Guardiola say something, and I think it was you that posted it on Facebook, saying that it, when my players are running, they're not they're not doing the right thing. When they're running too yeah. much, they're yes. not doing the right thing. It's, it's all about positioning. Less. It's all about positioning, Run. knowing where to be on the field. Exactly. Running running less, finding space, and having confidence that your teammates, your players, we'll are going to be able to find you if you're in the right space. And and that's what the game is about. I mean, if you know Barcelona is the um, the top of all tops with regards to that type of philosophy, you know, and you know, like uh, prior to, to a few years ago, everybody used to say, oh, yeah, but that's only Barcelona. Only Barcelona can do that. Now Pep Guardiola goes to Man City, uh, has hardly any players from Barcelona, if, if any. 
mm-hmm. um, has players from Belgium, from Germany, from here, from there, eh? and yet is able to do the same thing. So yeah. this means that uh, you're able to do it with many types of players. And then you have Jurgen Klopp that does it with Salah, who's Egyptian, Mane, who's Senegalese, Firmino, who's Brazilian, and mm-hmm. even them, they take the ball and 65% of the game, 70% of the game, they have possession of the ball. So mm-hmm. even they're able to do it, right? So yeah. these concepts are coming out more and more, and um, and uh, it, it's it's giving for more goals. It's making the game more enjoyable. It's a lot of attacking football, and uh, and that's it, you know. So and, and uh, for for here in Canada, like going forward, and to try to develop, what does Canadian youth soccer need? to try to develop more, not talented, because the talent is there, but to make them, help them reach that next level. What does Canadian uh, youth and acad- uh, uh, ac- um, academies <laughs> uh, need to to uh, show that to the youth, youth generation? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, I think we're on the right track, uh, but you have to understand, everybody has to understand, like we're, we're, we're starting from way behind. Yeah. So... You know, now you have guys like uh, Jason Devos, Dave Nutt, um, who are revamping the program, the national program. Um, I would just saw Mauro Biello in the, with the U23 team. Which yeah. Are, they were pretty impressive too. Yeah. yeah. No, no for, for sure. I mean, but we're, you know, that's that's performance. Jason yes. and, and Dave Nutt are rebuilding from the foundation. Oh, okay. The okay. I understand. I understand. Development system. So, so. Now programs are starting to get into place. What it's going to take is that, um, first of all, we stop looking at uh, how many wins and losses uh, U10 players have, or U12, or U13, or U14. It doesn't matter. Uh, and and this is a big thing in our in our philosophy, um, in our culture here. You know, like winning is everything. No, it's not everything. Now, are you going to go on the field to lose? If you're going on the field to lose, then just stop playing sports. Yeah, yes. You're not going on the field to lose. You're going on the field to win. But you can't go on the field to win at all costs and do anything possible to win the game. You have to do the right things over and over and over and over and over over a certain amount of years. And it's many years. It's not right. one, two, three years. It's like 10, 15, 20 years. And, and only then will we be able to let the kids enjoy the game, let the kids be free to express themselves, you know, and not worry about, you know, the, the, the stress of the result. Um, you know, I, I read um, uh, a quote, if I'm, I'm not sure if it was Iniesta or Xavi, but he basically says, I lost more games at 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 than I did when I, when I was with the first team in Barcelona. Hmm. He goes because losing uh, games at that age didn't matter mm. because we were trying to do the right thing on the field. So if you make a mistake and the other team scores and they win the game, well, you made a mistake. You're going to learn from that mistake. Mm. You know? Exactly. We learn uh, through failure. Yeah. Coaching education. So Jason Devos, uh, he's, he's revamped the coaching education. Um, you know, these are all things that are going to help out, you know, and, and then, You know, I think that's the foundation. So they're starting from the foundation, which is great. Um, what's going to have to happen is whatever's uh, a little bit higher, like the 18, 19, the performance uh, age groups, 
there's going to have to be at a certain point some kind of creation of um, more pro clubs, um, more professional academies. Okay. Because uh, we need we need to have a little bit of a pro um, pathway. Okay. And right now, if we only have our apples, all our apples in, you know, uh, CF Montreal, Toronto FC, and Vancouver, well, it's only three right. pro clubs. So imagine we have 300 uh, super talented players in an age group. I don't know. The 19-year-olds across, across the country, we have 300 uh, elite, top elite players. But now we only have a U19 at, uh, let's say, CF Montreal, mm -hmm. TFC, and Vancouver. Uh -huh. That's 20, 20, and 20. That's 60. Where do the other 240 players go? That's where the CPL comes into play and where it's very important that this league works and, and expands even because I think eight, nine clubs is not enough for... Um, because in Canada, there's a lot... I think, if I'm not mistaken, or at least here in Quebec, there is more um, kids playing soccer than there are playing hockey. So in, in Canada, I think um, soccer, youth soccer players are, uh, or no, soccer players in general, I think it's close to 950,000 or 900,000. Yeah. You see? And yeah. hockey players is 500,000. Ah, you see? Now, what so the differs? Pool is there. Yeah, the pool is there. What differs is um, in hockey, first of all, obviously it's culture. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because if you go to Brazil and you take, Somebody that's never played soccer, uh, never played in an organized team, I'm sure he's able to play soccer, mm -hmm. you know, so it's culture. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is that what I said before is that, yes, they have their youth, their community clubs and, and all that stuff. But then arrived at midget AAA, the boy doesn't play for that youth club anymore. He goes to a midget AAA team. Mm. So there's an elite structure. And then from there, he moves on to a junior major um, pathway, mm -hmm. you know. And then from there, they get drafted to the NHL and stuff like that. So, so they have that elite structure above, and they have that development system underneath. That makes what soccer sense. doesn't have right now is the above part, and we're building the underneath part. You know, And like you said, eight, uh, eight clubs in CPL is not enough, but I'm sure there's going to be more. Unfortunately, COVID uh, put a, yeah. a halt on some of that because I'm, uh, there was supposed to be more expansion teams coming in. I have no doubt in my mind um, within two years, there's going to be maybe 12 to 15 CPL clubs. Which is already better, yeah. Which is already better. And all these clubs are going to start their academies. Yeah. Now, whether it's academy that they do the academy, like the like, not the Montreal, but the CF Montreal or Toronto C, or they're, they're going to be associating themselves with youth clubs in their cities and creating a system where – those players have a have a you know a pyramid and at the top of the pyramid there's their their club you know like atletico ottawa is forming partnerships with many youth clubs in ottawa and uh so they're not going to have an academy at first they might have an older academy later on maybe like a u19 and u21 or something like that um but now all these all these clubs are are streaming their players towards atletico ottawa so that's that's what's going to drive the game forward. That's what's going to drive more avenues. And that's what's going to motivate players. That's the way culture is going to be built because the players are going to see, okay, uh, you know, because right now everybody thinks hockey, I I can play in the NHL. Soccer, well, at 18, I stop. Wow. And 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 um, 
I think that's going to change that uh, that mechanism. I guess that that's what you guys are trying to build with um, with the Montreal Manic FC. Uh, I, I heard the, the that presentation you guys did on Facebook, and it's very interesting the structure that um, Alain Olio, uh, the philosophy he's building. So you're gonna be you're gonna be in charge of the the U15, the U17, and the U19, which him and yourself also uh, described it as pre-formation, formation, and post-formation. Explain to us what that brings, what, what that brings for the, for the youth, for the kids. So every, every age group, every stage is, is the, you know, there's, there's different objectives. So, um, you know, there's different, so in the, in, in the pre-formation, uh, you know, like the players, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of difference between size, mm -hmm. a lot of difference between maturity, a lot of difference between uh, hormone, hormone levels, you know, hormone levels, when kids start to become adolescent, it's, it, 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 it plays a big role, you know, um, There's different objectives that we're going to go and attack at the U14, U15 level, uh, levels. At 17, you're in that in-between where there's still a little bit of what you had at U14, U15, but you can, you know, they're almost they're almost adults. They're almost at their full um, maturity. And then at U19, they're basically all adults. Uh, they're basically 90% of them, 95% of them and, and higher have basically all uh, done their growth, their maturity, their, their stable you know, mentally, they're, they're, they're not fragile and, and all this stuff. And that's where, you know, you need to start getting into a different frame of mind where the next step after that is pro. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you know, winning becomes, becomes important. Uh, uh, personality, mentality, all that stuff becomes very, very important at that, at that point. You know, the goal, the objective of Manic Academy is going to be to, to create more pathways. I mean, right now we have a partnership with Glasgow Rangers. We have a partnership that we will be announcing in the next couple of weeks uh, with an Italian club. Oh. We have a we have a partnership uh, with an English club that we will be announcing in the next cu next couple of months. Oh, um, nice. There's a partnership being uh, being um, developed in uh, in France, in Switzerland, in Germany, in uh, in Poland, in Croatia. So. Again, we go well, back. I have to as many stuff. open doors for your for your exactly. kids. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, and and all these clubs that are in Europe. I mean, if you tell me right now, Sandro, you're crazy. You're never going to send a player to Glasgow Rangers. I, I might say, you know what, you might be right. But maybe Glasgow is going to help us place a player in a second division squad, and hopefully the kid progresses, and then maybe later on he's going to go to Glasgow. Yeah. So right. having these contacts is is going to be very very important. You know, I mean, you know, just doing. Just doing a showcase here in Montreal and bringing scouts or whatever is not enough. If if the scout leaves Montreal and then you're not in contact with him, it's finished. You know, yeah, it instead there. we're gonna have a showcase in uh, in September, from September 3rd to September 6th, and all these clubs that uh, that you will be seeing partnerships with in the next few months, they're all gonna be here. Wow. So now, so, that's, so now that's, you're gonna have that's a lot of eyes on on um, the kids. Yep. Exactly, exactly. And if and if one boy ends up getting seen we've done our job yeah. we've done our job we've opened up a door for somebody that maybe before september 3rd didn't have that open door you know so, yeah and, um, and, and alain olio said uh olio said that he said it was funny when i heard that because when he said uh, some people ask what is uh, the philosophy of montreal manic and he just simply said score a goal and he said in french also, attaquer pour mieux défendre, which we can translate that offense is the best defense. 
Exactly. Um, we talked a bit about that philosophy, but uh, because the, he also said the first year will be a preparation year. But how do you, how do you, uh, what is that philosophy of scoring a goal? It's basically possession, like you were talking about before. So what he meant by that is is basically it's very simple. As soccer is you score one one goal more than the opposition, right? Yeah. So yes, um, for him, he's he's um, he's his mentality is um, I'd rather win a game four three than win it one nil. Wow. And and uh, the reality is is that uh, attacking is is more difficult to develop. Uh, than than defending is, um, def defending is difficult to develop. It's it's not easy. Okay, um, I, I don't want I don't want people to get my words a little bit distorted. But um, the reality is is that when you get to the pro level, um, most of the teams nowadays are playing attacking football. Yeah. And if you don't have the tools to play attacking football, it's going to be tough for you to get to the next level. Okay, um, defending part of it. Uh, is still very pertinent in the game, uh, but it's it's in different moments. It's in different little little tendencies and, and stuff like that, you know. And, and uh, um, you know, a lot more teams are not defending uh, on top of their box like uh, Italy used to do in uh, in 1980, for example. Well, Italy you know? is known for being a, a defensive squad. Exactly, you know. So that kind of football is uh, is slowly, slowly getting out of the game, you know, and. If if a if a club is going to come here uh, from Europe, uh, they're definitely going to want to see the technical level of the player. What can he do with the ball? Can he play with both feet? How quickly can he re can he get can he realize what's around him? So his awareness, his positioning, when the team has the ball, uh, his anticipation when the team has the ball, those are the things that they're going to be looking at. And then they're going to be looking at you know how hard does he work. How mentally strong is he? How can he anticipate the opposition's play uh, when defending? Um, so there's going to be a lot more points on the attacking side than there is going to be on on the defending side. You know, yeah. so so that's why, you know, I mean, if if we're able to build good attacking players, even center backs, center backs that can play out of the back are very very important nowadays. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's 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 important that because the play starts from your your. Your center backs. The play starts yeah. from your goalkeeper. Your goalkeeper's feet. Like you look at Ter Stegen, and you look at um, uh, you look at Ter Stegen. You look at uh, Manuel Nor. You look at Ederson. You know their their technical ability with their feet is is uh, is extraordinary. You know, so that's that's really really important. You know? Yeah, it's what it is because now we're seeing more and more. Um, in uh, European soccer, playing the the three center backs, the three five uh, three five two, and using the 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 extremes to move the move up and down. Those guys are the ones running up and down the field, and possession uh, possession is important because when you have the ball, uh, the other team can score on you, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, Guardiola said it last week on Sky, uh, not Sky Sports, but BT Sports with uh, Gary Lineker. He said, <laughs> "We need to have the ball. We need to yeah. defend by having the ball. More I have the ball, less the other team has the ball." Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I mean, this is the key nowadays, you know, this is the key nowadays. And look, if you look at, uh, you know, it's not too different, too much, uh, that much difference with hockey. Um, the Detroit Red Wings, when they uh, when they won, when they were really, really good, 
uh, one of the things that the, a lot of the commentators used to say was uh, their puck possession in the offensive zone was was unbelievable. Yeah, you know, with the guys uh, Zetterberg and uh, Datsuk and all these guys. So even there, you know, they they used a, a an attacking um, type of mentality before defending. You know? All right, Sanjo, I, I think uh, I don't want to take too much up of the time, so we're gonna we're gonna close it down. I'm just gonna see a few rapid uh, rapid fire questions that I like to yeah. ask all my guests. So, um, who have been the three people who have been the most influential to you in uh, in the soccer world? Uh, like only soccer world or personal life as well? Uh, you could do a mixture of both. Okay, so definitely my parents. Because they helped me out to throughout the way, I would say they're number one. Um, the coaches in Saint Leonard, number two, and um, and uh, my Italian coach uh, Stefano Sandera in uh, in Italy. Oh yes, um, that that was at uh, when you were at uh, Potenza or Frosinone. Isernia, Frosinone, and Potenza, all three. Oh, okay, all three. You still have contact with him? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he coaches in Malta now. He coaches in first division in Malta. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. and um, where, I don't like asking it that way, but um, where do you see yourself as a coach in five, ten years? Where would you want to be as a coach? At the highest level possible. Mm -hmm. um, you have all your uh, your cards, right? Do you wait for cards? Yes, so I, I just finished my uh, my UEFA B license. I'm on the in the process of finishing my UEFA A license if COVID helped us out. <laughs> uh, so I'll be done that in a few few uh, few months. Uh, I have my Canadian A license. So I, I really want to coach pro. I think I want to try at least, and um, I want to I want to do my best to 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 get into a pro environment and and go from there. And then if if it doesn't work out, I love coaching. 17-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 15-year-olds, you know. So um, I want to strive to get to the highest level. And if I can't get to the highest level, I'm 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 okay with coaching uh, uh, elite-level uh, soccer in the youth youth categories. Uh, talk to us a bit about the, the Sandro Grande Academy, how that is more of an individual training, right, where you yeah. offer a personal and a small groups, right? Yeah. So talk a bit about us so our listeners can know about that too. <laughs> Yeah, Sandro Grande Academy. Uh, basically, uh, we're going to work on it's private training in small group training. Um, you know, groups of three, four, five, six players. Right now, because of COVID, I can only take four max uh, okay. in an hour. Uh, we're going to work on you know technical skills, uh, tactical stuff, awareness, uh, some physical stuff, coordination, agility, and uh, the goal is is just to give the the, the players uh, an extra session a week, an extra two sessions a week. Uh, because sometimes uh, you know clubs only train once or twice a week or three times a week, um, and it's and it's not a and it's not a place where the kids are going to come and they're going to be dead tired after. They're still going to be fresh enough to go and and train with their clubs. So okay. it's just an extra training. Uh, I think I want to you know the goal behind it was to to be able to influence as many players as possible and being in one club only. Um, I was I was able to help the kids in that club. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I, I I would like to help out as many kids as possible around the city. And give, give them another the uh, another tool in their toolbox. Exactly, and give back to the community. I mean, yeah. I want to give back to the kids. I mean, I think there's enough kids here that uh, that they need to know my uh, my path, and they uh, and if I can help them out with my knowledge of uh, coaching, fantastic. 
Well, I'm sure you can. So tell uh, tell our listeners a bit where they can find all this information about Sandro Grande Academy, how they can find you online, where they can find you, and um, how to uh, reach you if they want to if they're interested in the Sandro Grande Academy. Yeah. So to reach me, it's uh, Sandro G dot academy in english a c a d e m y at gmail.com so you can just email me um on facebook i'm there sandro grande i'm uh, sandro grande um on instagram as well so you can find me there and on twitter um i'm often posting stuff i'm often posting uh soccer stuff so uh they can follow me on social media and uh if there's anything they can email me for pricing details uh, location and all that stuff um i'll, I'll be gladly uh to, i'll be glad to uh, to answer all the questions okay uh, sanjo thanks a lot for coming on i really appreciate your time you've given me today and i wish you all success in all your projects and uh, montreal manic all the success in the world thank you very much michael thank you thank you have a good day yeah you thanks, too guys. see you soon